0: Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. This episode is sponsored by Carnivore Cure. Carnivore Cure is a book, a work-in-progress plant database, and in the future, an intense group program. Carnivore Cure is meat-based nutrition and the ultimate elimination diet. The Carnivore Cure book helps to break down science and provides a step-by-step elimination diet protocol. It also provides extensive nutritional information and support for a meat-based diet. Carnivore Cure is rooted in evidence-based nutrition with over 600 citations and over 250 colored graphics and tables. If you need assurance that a meat-based diet is ideal or if you need more in-depth support to guide you, then this book is for you. The colored informationals and nutrition facts will make this book a reference for years to come. Make sure to get your copy on Amazon or at CarnivoreCure.com Thanks for listening and let's get back to the show. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're Hey guys, welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm here today super excited with my friend and co-host Laura Spath. And we are here today with Jessica. I'm so excited to have you on, but if you can introduce yourself for those that are listening and just share who you are and all the wisdom you're going to bring to this topic.
2: Well, I'm praying I'll bring some wisdom. I did actually pray before I started just that whatever comes out of our conversation today will reach whoever needs to hear it. Um, but basically I am a coach. Um, I know there's a lot of coaches out there. Um, specifically I coach nutrition, but over the years of being a coach, it really morphed into life coaching. And so I work with a lot of people that have eating disorders. I work with people who struggle in their relationships. I work with people who struggle with, um, body image. Um, I work with people who struggle Uh, with change or taking next steps I work a lot with people on fear so um, that's sort of what I do I have been doing that for about four and a half years and I love it I feel like it's my purpose
1: and I'm just incredibly grateful. So how did you figure out that this was like a spot that you needed to be or I true, I know you I've sat with you I truly believe this is your purpose and this is your calling. And so how did you end up here or realize this was something that you were, whether it's, you know, able to help people in this way or that this was a need that people had, this fear that people are dealing with. It's interesting because again, I, my own story is, is
2: really long, but it was definitely um, one that is, Full of fear <laughs> either feel of fear of success or feel of fear of failure um, both of those defined me for a really long time I um, did struggle with my own eating disorder and one of the reasons I know I'm where I'm at is because it I didn't make it happen um, I know where I'm supposed to be because I leaned into things I was afraid of and I allowed what was happening to come without doing anything to block it or sabotage myself. And I believe that that's where purpose happens. When we continue to work on ourselves and then people and opportunities appear in our lives and we are open to them, that is where we find our purpose. And so I found that, so I have clients that I worked with originally to help them lose weight on a ketogenic diet. Uh, well, that was four and a half years ago, and they still are with me. And I said to someone recently, you know, um, clearly these people, they've met their, their goals by now. They know keto. That's not why they're still with me. It's no longer what I do. Um, but common themes would come up with all the same people, people who have eating disorders, people who struggle with their weight, people who st- struggle with sabotage, this element of fear ran through all of it and this element of sabotaging thoughts that lead to sabotaging behaviors they run through every interaction that i have with people that are struggling and when you start to dig into that and pull it apart it's such a big thing <laughs> but it, it but you capture it when when you realize what you're doing and how your fear or your thoughts around things affect all your behaviors not just food or your body and you figure out the solution to that and start to apply it to every part of your life you get success in every part of your life and i I just i feel like that's what i do with people it's what i do in my own life um and you know also that you're where you're supposed to be when it doesn't drain you when your work fills you up no matter if it's The 10th client that you've spoken to or the first one, you feel full. That's how you know when you're, you know, you're in the place that you're supposed to be.
0: When you say fear, what do you mean by that? Like fear of success, fear of doing anything. What do you mean by fear? So
2: I think the thing that keeps most people from being happy in life is that they don't move forward they stay stuck in the same repeated sabotaging behaviors. What drives that is a movie that plays in their mind where they see what will happen if they make a change and that creates a feeling of fear. And so they don't realize this is happening, but because they are operating in that feeling of I've got to do something to stop my future because my future is too scary then what they do is they do a sabotaging behavior. Fear, I think, is anything that blocks us from moving forward in life. It paralyzes us, keeps us stuck. And I think that is the biggest method or that is the biggest enemy to moving forward and in, in being healed in any area, whether it's addiction or whether it is any um, kind of behavior issue you have. If, if it's getting out of a relationship that is... Um, uh, abusive or narcissistic. I see that same fear in that as I see for people who are afraid to give up their eating disorder because they've always leaned on it to help them get through life.
1: In a lot of ways, it's comforting, right? It's I needed my, it's too scary for me to step outside the box and stop using food for comfort um, because then I have to face my emotions and I lost weight and then all of a sudden I went, okay, wait, now I have all these emotions that I have to deal with I've uncovered all of this hurt, all of this pain, all of this stuff. How am I supposed to handle that anymore? Because I can't use food to soothe that and to numb it. And that can't be my drug anymore. So how am I supposed to deal with that anymore? And that was a big part of like why maintenance sucks. Because I have to actually figure it out. It's not a temporary diet weight loss anymore. It's now me saying... Now i got to deal with my own situation and my own emotions.
2: Part of the problem with it is that people don't realize that they have to fix that. They have to fully feel and work through it and so they move on to something different. I struggled when I got through um, dealing with my eating disorder when I hadn't really addressed what led or what kept me attached to the eating disorder I hadn't really addressed fear and those strong emotions and the things that led me to have it. I went into compulsive shopping because I was looking for something else that felt really good. It had the, it held the same kind of false temporary charm that an eating behavior would have for me. So you move on to a different a different, sabotaging behavior if you don't actually lean into the real feelings and meet your actual needs
0: I think a lot of people sabotage without knowing though right so I remember meeting with my mentor and he would say I know you have so much that you can do so and he asked me like what would be your biggest dream and I brought up like the most ridiculous thing I said I would love to be the next Condoleezza Rice back in the day right when I was really young and he's like you can do it if you really wanted But it's like, what's what's stopping you? And then it was all these, I guess, fears that came up, right? And so instead of seeing what I can do or what I'm capable of, I was more focused on, well, if I use my eating disorder, well, now I'm sick today and I don't get anything done. And I'm just stuck, right? But it's not like I'm aware that I'm sabotaging. But I think we all do that. But how do we become aware? And then how do we shift that narrative to kind of get unstuck?
2: yeah i think as human beings we crave safety and we we crave the known (laughs) and so anything outside of that creates fear
1: i mean the last year and a half has been a testament to that in every way we don't have to go down that path but like that just shows exactly what it is right people want to know what's going to happen and they want to feel safe and that's you know so true and as a larger society and then on an individual level.
2: No, no, you're right. I I think most people don't realize that they are driven by fear or their behaviors are fear driven, but I hear it in things that they say to me. They say, oh, I'd really love to fill in the be the next Condoleezza Rice, but I can't or um, the what if statements, but what if this happens and I have to, move to a different city, or there's just, it's all the statements that come out of someone's mouth. On one hand, they can paint a picture of a dream they have, but then the 10 statements that follow the dream they told you about are all the reasons why they can't. Um, I think every sabotaging behavior is the result of a fearful belief, every single one. I think every sabotaging behavior comes from a place of fear. So if someone is, say, um, I will have someone say, someone today, for example, said to me, um, I don't think that I can give up my eating disorder because I don't have anything to replace it with. And I say, what are you imagining what are you picturing your life being like if you give up your eating disorder, if you actually say, I want to get well. And what they actually, what it comes down to is they actually sometimes picture a life where they are more active in it. And then there's the opportunity to be exposed more. There's the opportunity to make mistakes. There's the opportunity to be part of relationships that may fail and they may get hurt. And so it really is, it really is them realizing that while it feels safe to continue doing the sabotaging behavior, they're missing out on all these other things. And and to figure that out, they themselves have to talk about the things that they're missing. But you tell me you want a relationship, but then I'm afraid I'm going to be hurt in a relationship. Okay, so what are you doing? What's causing you to not be in a relationship? I continue in my secret eating disorder. How can I have a relationship if I'm doing this behind closed doors?
0: That, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Whenever I wanted to, I guess, have a certain outcome with my ex-boyfriend, I would, I would get deeper into my eating disorder, not even being aware of why I was doing that. But I remember I would get sicker and sicker, especially if I didn't get my way with him. What about people with body dysmorphia? So we, uh, Laura and I were talking about body dysmorphia, how if a certain part of our body or a certain way we look or feel, it, it's a little bit of that fear then makes us not want to be the person we can be outside in the world and do the things we want to do. How do we get over that? I mean, what is, what are some tangible steps we can do? I think maybe one is working with a coach, but what would you recommend to start healing from that?
2: Well, I think... People use body dysmorphia, that word, in a lot of different ways. Sometimes they just mean low self-esteem about the way you look. And then sometimes it's truly zeroing in on a part of me that I perceive as hideous. And I assume the rest of the world sees it that way. And to me, they're kind of two different things. If it is a specific part, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do about that. You can take pictures of it. You can compare it, you can show the picture of your part compared to other people's parts and you see how similar they are. So you can help people with that. When you generally feel that your body is unacceptable, that you're not good enough, that you are ugly, um, that your unattractiveness or that your body or whatever part of you is a distraction to other people, not just you, you you actually feel like you're doing people a favor by staying away. Um, I can remember a time where I, uh, I was working with a therapist, and I felt so hideous that I wouldn't go to the mailbox to get the mail. And he would say, well, why don't you want to go outside? I'm like, I might see the neighbor. And he said, well, are you afraid of interaction? Like, no, I don't think the neighbor should have to see me. There's a point where you actually think that your presence, because you feel so bad about yourself, is a burden to other people you're around. And so it can, it can run really, really deep with that. But one of the things I think that real simply this for the masses is I ask people to think about who are you outside of, of your physical body. So if you take the way that you look completely out of the equation, give me a description of who you are, the person that's inside of you. And it's amazing. It's easier for people to be nice to themselves when they're describing those things. Cause someone can say, well, yeah, I'm loyal. I'm a good friend. I'm smart. They
1: can name all these
2: things and that they're describing the person they actually are
1: but people right. have such a hard time naming their favorite physical feature like what's your best feature if you tell somebody we look in the mirror and that person looking back at us we our brain is a you know is the devil sometimes like it you don't see what's really there and you're looking at these pieces of you and and you have such a hard time identifying positive attributes in that way and that happens with the extreme right of the clinical body dysmorphia in this extreme way. But it also just happens in, you know, you lose a lot of weight and you still feel like that fat girl and you don't see your new body and your new self when you look in the mirror and you don't, you just, you don't see those things. And so, you know, people can't pick out those positive features, but I love that about you. Like outside, I mean this, I'm going to use this on myself outside of your physical appearance. What, who are you? I love that. Who are you? That deserves or even say, what's valuable
2: about you. Even then it is much easier to say, well, this thing about my personality is valuable. I can accept that. I'm a, I'm a loyal employee, right? Like we can accept that kind of thing before we can accept that we have a nice smile. Right. So You know, I really try to appeal to people's sense of purpose. And I do believe that we are here um, to be part of society and to give to other people. And I think that all this stuff, the body image stuff, body dysmorphia, low self-esteem, it keeps us turned inward and it robs the world of the things that are good about us. So if I can get someone to understand and from their own mouth say, you know, I'm loyal, I'm a good friend, I'm a great employee, I'm intelligence. If they can see, I am depriving the world of my presence. I am meant to influence other people. I am meant to be a good friend. Who needs my loyalty? When you start to look outside yourself to what am I meant to bring to the world to other people, The physical stuff does fade a little bit. I'm not saying it goes away. It really doesn't. It's there, but but who you are becomes a bigger issue than what you think you look like. There's a lot of different body image issues you can do. Um, Like I said, photographs help a lot. Um, Having, um, I don't know, probably somebody who's listening to this will identify with this, but Most people who struggle with body issues have at some point caught a glimpse of what they actually look like. You know, where you are walking through a mall and there's like a glimpse, there's a glass and you're like, and you see that person and you think they look okay. And then you, realize it's you and you're shocked.
1: You're like, whoa. I spent a long time not recognizing that reflection when you walk. I'm like, or somebody, a picture of me in the background, when that was my worst nightmare before was to be captured in a picture when I didn't know it was going to happen. And then all of a sudden you see them and you're like, okay, wait, that, that's me. Like you don't even recognize yourself.
2: Well, part of the biggest thing is helping. The biggest issue is helping people realize that while it may be hard for you to accept what you truly look like, can you accept that maybe you don't see yourself as you actually are. Yes. And that's the first step. Like, okay, maybe you don't see your own beauty. Maybe it is hard for you to sit here and say, no, I really do have a beautiful smile. But can I accept that I don't see myself as the rest of the world probably sees me? And when you can get to that part, you get a lot of movement. When you start to even, question how you see yourself physically. So you see it as fact. You go from seeing it is a fact. I am unacceptable. My appearance, my presence is a burden to people to maybe it's not as bad as I see it. Maybe if you just will let in like doubt into that, that assurance you have that you're disgusting is actually a good thing. Maybe it's not as bad. You can't start off with, I'm just going to repeat to myself. I look good because it's that's garbage. It doesn't work, but you can start off saying maybe it's not what I think it is. Maybe people do see me differently. Maybe, this part of me that I'm obsessed about looks similar to other people, and it isn't. It isn't the first thing other people see. Um, I had a surgery a few years back where I had a very large cyst removed from my face on the inside of my cheek. It was large, and I'll have to send you guys the a picture. This is crazy, um, but my face was very misshapen, and um, it healed. But years later, I still thought I looked dramatically different. I refused to ever, ever be videoed or do Zoom or anything like that because I still saw it as if it was the way it was at one time. I could not recognize the healing. It's the same thing about not, it's the same thing as not recognizing that you've lost weight or recognize that you've had some other dramatic change. I could not acknowledge the healing. And so my perception was my face still looks very, very asymmetrical. And what that did was it created a situation where I would not do the thing that I was called to do. Many, many people have been influenced. (laughs) I know now in the last four years through some type of video message that I've done and that enemy thought that I should not be recorded because my face is so asymmetrical kept me from doing that sooner. I just wanted to pull together how these things in our head keep us from doing the
1: thing you're called to do. Yeah, we talked about that last week of imagine if you if you somebody told you that. Right. What would you tell this trusted, loving friend who said, I can't do Zoom calls because I'm afraid of the way that I look on camera? People's first reaction is like, are you, are you kidding me? That's, you know, like you want to compliment somebody else. Right. And you were saying, what's your favorite thing about you? But imagine if you name somebody think about your best friend or your loved one or your spouse and somebody says, what's your favorite thing about them? My guess is if you're in a healthy relationship, you're not going to say it's their abs or it's their jawline or it's their, you're going to say he's an amazing father. He makes me laugh. She's so fun. She lifts me up. Like the favorite thing that you name about somebody else, it's not a physical feature. It's who they are, right? I just like had that light bulb when you were talking about it, you know, asking about those other things. And in a lot of ways, being so maybe this is off base. I don't know. I'm just thinking aloud on this. Having that extreme low self esteem is in a lot of ways, selfish, like extremely selfish. Like you think that my appearance matters so much that it affects everybody else around me. And they are so affected and so hurt. And so they can't stop thinking about the way that I look. And it's this like, major selfishness there's nothing more selfish than to not because of that we've talked about this judy i talked about that before it's narcissistic to think the world's thinking about you so i had a
2: i did have a really good therapist for eight years and when we were dealing with this getting me back out in public you know for about five years i just dropped off the face of the earth i didn't leave the house i didn't go anywhere um I was just wrecked in every way, and we're working on how do, we, how do we get you back out in public? And he said, talk me through, you know, what you're thinking. Why is it so hard for you to be out there? I'm like, well, I walk into a place, and I just feel like everybody's looking at me, and they're thinking I'm fat or, you know, all the things that we think, right? And he was like, who do you think you are that yes. everybody's looking at you, that everybody's thinking about you? How selfish and how narcissistic. I was like, oh, that's not who I am. I'm not selfish. I'm not narcissistic. But he said, think about it. It's crazy. And then he said, oh, what if it was the truth? What if everybody's looking at you and thinking those things? Does it make any difference, really? And I was like, no, but you're right. They're not. But I love that. You need somebody in your life that'll say, who do you think you are? Right. That you think everybody's thinking about you. Like we walk into a room and we're covering our stomachs because, you know, maybe I wore the shirt that was tighter than I thought that I should. And I regret that I have it on. I was feeling brave in the moment, but now I'm feeling kind of roly. Nobody's
1: looking. Right. They're all too worried thinking about their own insecurities and themselves. And they're worried you're looking at the points on them that they're not too comfortable <laughs> with. Well. Exactly
2: right. Exactly right. And the other thing too is you go into a room like that and you may feel that way, but when you if you can really zero zero in on this idea that we are in the places that we are called to be, and all around us are people who need what we have to offer. You stop, your hands get free, you're talking to people, you're you you're not thinking about your skin, you're not thinking about your body, you're not thinking about roles when you really get involved with being present with the people that are given to you, you guys know I call them divine appointments, but when you really think about that, when you become very, very present, your insecurities about your body disappear. There is no room for self when you're focused on other people. And I really think that's, I think that, I think there's an enemy to purpose in the world and the enemy uses these thoughts and keeps us obsessed on our body and our self to keep us from doing that very thing we're called to do. The reason that we are created.
0: A lot of what you shared is so powerful. I remember we first met yeah. and I was sharing about, you know, I was going to talk about vitamin A and I know a lot of people would get upset. And then I remember you mentioning I wasn't even going to come to this event for whatever reasons, right? And then you brought so much empowerment to me of if you know that in your heart what you're sharing is good and it may not apply to everyone but you know the the purity of the information then you should do it and i don't know if i would have gone through that whole debacle with the strength i did if i hadn't talked to you that week i'm so glad you came and so when you talk about all these things it's so powerful because i fully believe it if you didn't come that day or we had that dinner with all of us I wouldn't have had the courage to maybe share. Maybe I would have ended after that one thing and said, oops, I made a mistake, sorry guys. And I would have let it go. But instead it's like, no, I know what I'm sharing is right. And then I shared one more, two more interviews, but you brought that courage for me. And to think that you thought, oh, I don't feel that great this day and I may just not come. Well, you wouldn't have known that's the di- that's the divine appointment is that you yeah. were both meant
1: to be there together and to to help bring each other through a difficult time. And it just shows how you were both meant to be.
2: I think it's a good example because we think all this stuff is about ourselves. I'm thinking, I don't need to go to this thing because I don't like the way my arms look. And those enemy thoughts, I know I keep bringing that up, but it's huge. We live in a world where we have enemy thoughts. They are the main weapon against doing the thing we're called to do and I do believe that I'm called to encourage people and tell them the truth I think you know God's given me this ability to like zero in on I can hear when someone believes a lie about themselves and help them see the truth and um, a lot of times that lie is wrapped up in fear and all kinds of other things but I can get just like everybody else I can get very caught up in my own self nope my arms don't look good enough for me to meet meet new people today. And do you see how that enemy thought keeps myself turned inward right. to the point that I almost didn't come? And, and what I have done with that now is say, if the enemy of purpose, whatever you want to call that, I call it the devil. But the enemy of purpose wants me not to show up. I am showing up. I am going to lean into the conflict that I feel about my body, and I'm going to show up because I assume there is someone there who needs me. It is not about me anymore,
1: and I can do it for somebody else. Because we will. We would do anything for people that we love. To step outside of our comfort zone for ourselves and to move past that fear, for me, is, is very difficult and very hard, and I don't want to do it. But if you ask me if I'm scared to do something, but it's for the best of my children or my friends or someone I love, I we all will immediately jump to that. But when it's ourselves that are blocking us, there's a lot of times we just give into it or it's so much harder for us to move past it.
2: Yeah, I think um, people who care about other people. And a lot of us that struggle with eating issues and body issues, we care deeply for other people. Mm -hmm. We are not always motivated by our own, you know, if someone sits with us and says, imagine all that you could be if you could just get past that, that might even create more fear. (laughs) I know, again, a lot of therapists and the idea of, oh, you could do something big just scared me more. But the idea of, you're not being present to do the thing you're called to do for other people. That motivates me that I want to lean into. I can run from the idea of big dreams, but I'm not going to run from, I'm not going to run from a potential divine appointment.
0: I heard a saying the other day um, that the devil's biggest power is to make people believe he doesn't exist, Mm -hmm. which I think makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, imagine if, Everyone did what they could to their max capacity and give and function. The world would be such a greater place. Um, I have so many clients that I learn so much from. And so often I have to maybe email them later or message them later and say, I hope one day you could see all the good I see in you. Because based on their mannerisms or what they say, they're not fully there. And you can see it and sample it. And it makes me sad because I see so much of their gifts and talents and even their beauty and they don't see it because of that one, whatever that may be, whether it's body dysmorphia or just that they hate one part of their body. And it's um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying.
2: Well, it goes back to the question of worth. Where do we get our worth from? And I think that we are programmed by the world that we get our worth from how we look, how many likes we have, um, Well, I mean, it's crowd approval, uh, how much money we have, all these things. This is what the world says. This is how you should know you're worthy. We only truly, truly sense the full scope of our worth when we are doing the thing we're created to do. And what are we created to do? We're created to bear light and shine it for other people. And all the stuff we do, the striving to look a certain way, to have enough money, to do all the things, to be popular, a lot of times they shoot the effort in the foot. <laughs> the real becoming is realizing your purpose. And it's not about any of those things, you know? And none of those things is bad. It's that. When your goal is to build this empire that looks a certain way behind closed doors, a lot of times you find that the depth isn't there.
0: One thing I find with a lot of people that struggle with eating disorders, body dysmorphia, um, even toxic relationships is because there's a, a stronger personality by them that may make, make them feel that they're not worthy. They might be with a narcissistic person that's around them, whether it's mom, whether it's A spouse. Um, What is your experience with that? Do we need to either create a boundary with that narcissistic person, or do we need to remove that? Like, what has been your experience with narcissism in general?
2: It's been interesting. The reason I dug into, and you and I have had conversations about this behind the scenes, but like the reason I dug into this interesting study of narcissism is because so often people with eating disorders have had someone narcissistic in their life. A lot of times a parent, and we're using that word like everybody understands it, but a narcissist is someone who is very focused on the way things look from the outside,
1: It's not about being self-centered. I think that's people who are narcissistic are not just selfish people or like think everything is about them. Thank you for explaining this. It goes so much more than that.
2: It really is about creating a world around them where where everything serves them. Um, And they actually believe that. They actually believe that all people around them are meant to serve their needs. And if you, if they, a lot of times uh, a malignant narcissist, if you no longer meet whatever need they have assigned to you, they will cut you off or they will um, treat you in a way that is very, very, um, it's well, it's called narcissistic rage. They can turn on you um if you no longer meet that need if if you are someone who helps them become more successful or more popular or if you're someone who flatters them all the time they build these groups of people but everybody serves their role in their life and if you no longer meet that need you are cut off cold um and then from if you are the person who's being cut off by a narcissist it's extremely painful um but if you realize in your life there is someone who is using you, um, if if you realize you never really get anything from them, it's always about them, you're constantly having to feed their needs, um, you do have to create a boundary there. Even if it's someone who you've been close to, even if it's someone who um, is a parent, we don't get to choose our parental relationships, but we can set up boundaries where we're not exposed to certain behaviors often. If it is a friendship relationship, then sometimes the very best thing is to walk away. Um, Because again, the narcissist only takes, they don't give
0: and they all about appearances. So how would that look with the parent relationship? Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, I've experienced this again. One of the reasons that I was so, Interested in is because so many girls, especially with eating disorders, have had narcissistic moms, meaning their parent would always, it didn't matter what things are like behind closed doors, you make sure that you look right. You're a reflection of me. A narcissistic parent sees their children not as a person separate from them, but as someone who reflects them. They're really an extension of them to the extent that how you dress, your weight, everything else, if, if, if you're not perfect, if those things don't look right, then that makes me look bad. A narcissistic parent who has a child with an eating disorder is not concerned about the child's health. They're concerned that it will reflect poorly on them Mm
0: -hmm.
2: in some kind of way. Um, For example, so when you realize you have a narcissistic parent, um, I've seen situations where it was so bad that that relationship had to be severed um which is really really sad but a lot of times i think when it is a family member you can say i can accept this person's in my life but i can also accept that i can never ever ever trust their motives and i can't even i can't even trust this person when they are love bombing me Like when they are actually throwing me a bone and saying nice, kind things to me, it's because they need something from me. They're trying to rope me back in and make me a supply again. Um, So limiting exposure is big. Um, A lot of times a woman who's been married to a narcissist and they have a child together, the boundary she has to set up is we only have conversations regarding the child ever. You don't come to my house, I don't come to yours. When it's apparent, you say, how much of this person do I want to allow in my life? Do I want to still see them? It's okay for you to love a person who's a narcissist. It's not okay for them to continue to use you because you lose yourself in them every single time. That, that personality is so powerful that they suck everything good that you have in you and they, they use it to fill their needs and you're left depleted. And when you're in a relationship like that, friend, parent, anything, you have to get some distance. Um, and that's
1: hard to do. You, you lose so much of yourself in that. I spent time several years in a relationship, you know, with somebody who was a narcissist and it was just our whole lives revolved around him and supporting him and and all that stuff. And then you come out of it and you're like, wait, I mean, I said, where's my friends? Where's my family? Like I don't, my relationship with my mom is terrible because I have been terrible to her because I'm feeling so depleted that everything is this way. You know, all my friends are gone because they are tired of dealing with me in this relationship. And I've just kind of gotten so into this, you know, obsession of this relationship that I lost everything of who I was and myself in all of that, trying to please him.
2: Well, narcissists are all consuming; they require total, total yeah. devotion. I actually went in. Um, you know, you guys know uh, Mary and I actually teach some uh, eating disorder groups, and we're about to start our. Actually, we just started our forty-fifth one, <laughs> so a lot of groups, right? Um, I describe Ed when people are still when they're first trying to wrap their brain around Ed, which is what we call the eating disorder, the voice of sabotage. When we're when I'm describing Ed, I actually refer to him as like a toxic narcissistic person, X, if you would. They require total, total devotion to them. They only you can say you want to do something, you want to change something, and they say, nope, you have to stay the same. They will make you lie for them. They will make you hide. They will make you do anything to get alone with them. That's what Ed does. Like, the the eating disorder is that narcissistic, toxic voice that says, you don't want to change. You're fine the way you are. Um, Ed shows up and says, I'm here for you. I've always been here for you. You need me. You and that's the fear. Life. You can't make it through life without me. And we say, oh, that sounds true. So even though I know there's a sickness to this relationship, I feel like I have to keep this connection to Ed. And, t- and until we actually want to get well, then we won't. I know I went to many different eating disorder hospitals because other people wanted me to get well. It wasn't until I started to see Ed, not as someone who saved me and helped me through life, but instead as someone who was killing me and keeping me from truly living that I could sever that tie. And I think we, it's a very hard thing for a victim to see a narcissist for the bully that they are. Ed's a bully, narcissists are bullies.
1: In both of those things, the fear is nobody will love me like they do. Nobody is. I'm so damaged or so because they're, you know, the way that they twist things around and manipulate you. It's the eating disorder and the narcissist person. It's that I I'm I'm deserving of this. I'm only you know, I'm nobody else can love me because I'm so terrible in this way or, you know, I'm scared to leave. What will that look like? There's just too much to not, there's, there's the comfort in it as well. Like you mentioned.
2: Well, well, the narcissist too will also twist reality in a way that makes no sense to the outside person, but to you, you fall for it because they, they get to know everything about you. So narcissist knows which buttons to push, and then they can come up with the absolutely most absurd things. A, A very simple thing, viewing Ed, the voice of sabotage, as the narcissist, you are wanting to get well. You say, I am so sick of purging. I am sick of hiding. I am disgusted. My eyes are swollen. My throat is swollen. My body, I don't recognize it. I want to get well. And then Ed says to you, well, this is just who you are. This is your identity. There is no you without me. And you start to think, it's true. Who am I without Ed? I must be nothing. He tries to get us to see that our identity is so totally wrapped up in him that we are not a separate person, like the narcissistic mom. You know, it's interesting the parallels with eating disorders and the voice of sabotage and a literal voice of sabotage in our life who twists things around. For example, this is a a big one. It might be controversial. I'm just going to go there. A lot of times if um, I'm a Christian and a narcissist in your life who knows that you are a Christian will actually use religion to mess with your mind. If you if they feel like the grip that they have on you is slipping away, they will somehow present to you that you are not that you are not doing the right thing or it is not a Christian behavior you have in order to pull you back into their web um, It's not about them and their religious beliefs. they will use your beliefs against you. And try to make a case for whatever it is, for keeping them around.
0: When I talk with you about narcissism, um, what was so amazing to me was I studied psychology. I studied a lot about social psychology. And I guess I never thought about narcissism or narcissistic people other than the Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. and. But there were always people in my life where I was really upset about a principle or something was wrong and that's just not ethical or whatever it is. And then whenever I'd have the conversation with them and I'm like, I am going to um, share my stance, my p- point of view of what was wrong and how I was wrong. And then I would always leave the conversation with apologizing. And I never realized that there's people that are narcissistic that can just twist it. And I used to always think, wow, I'm such a bad person for thinking these things of those that person. And even when I went to them, I realized that my thought process was wrong and I am the bad person. Right. But maybe some of them were just using these skill sets you mentioned.
2: They're really good at what they do. Part of it is they believe they cannot be wrong. And so they're very good at convincing you that it must be you. But the other thing I'll say about that is people say, well, what's my problem that I have had all these interactions with narcissists in my life. And I believe based on what I have seen and experienced that when you have been abused by a narcissist, other narcissists target you for relationships. When you have been treated a certain way, when you are a victim of narcissistic abuse, there is something that's gone. There's something that's missing. There's something that's been taken from you and other narcissists sniff that out and they form bonds with you because they know that will be a familiar bond and they know who it will be easier to use someone who's already been abused because in a way that's a comfort spot for you. And so I've seen that many times The person starts to think well it has to be me i'm the common denominator well no not really um it's the same way a child who is abused over and over and over by multiple different people and that kid's like the problem has to be me because right? Like this doesn't happen to other people. It has to be me. There's something wrong with me and what it is. An abuser can recognize an abused child and they know it's easier to take advantage of them. It's the same way an abusive relationship with narcissists. They recognize that this person is abused and has been
1: broken. It's easy for me to slip in and recruit them into my, you know, web of people do you think it's that intentionally nefarious like do you think that with a narcissist person they're saying this is somebody i can use to get what i want or do you think there's just this in a, in a lot of ways it's who they are and they may not even be able to identify that or they don't realize like i think there's i don't give them enough an an I don't give them that credit to say that they're doing it intentionally. I think people are just wired in a way that they're going to use people for their benefit and don't realize the hurt that they're causing.
2: Um, so narcissism is a cluster B personality disorder. Other personality disorders that fall into that category are borderline personality disorder. So a person who has borderline, they get bored when nothing's going on. I, I, this is a real common thing with someone who has borderline personality disorder. They will create a situation. It doesn't matter if it's a good situation or a bad situation, they have to have something going on all the time. You'll notice there's a crossover with that in a person who's a narcissist. The person who's borderline doesn't have harmful intentions, the person who's a narcissist. They know people are going to get sucked in. And what they, what, the reason the intention is harmful is because they know that when they can get people to react, it makes them feel powerful. If you have a positive reaction, they feel powerful. If you have a negative reaction, they feel powerful. So there's a crossover in that type of personality, but I don't think that with a person who has um, borderline personality disorder, they're creating a crisis and there are people who get sucked into that. their collateral damage. The person who's a narcissist, they stir stuff up because it makes them feel powerful that they created something, not because they need to have it, but they like the feeling they get from controlling how other people feel and knowing that they got a reaction. And so there's a little bit of difference. I do think it is, 99% of the time, it is absolutely
0: on purpose. Because I can see someone saying that person is a narcissist because it stems from insecurity, right? They're afraid that their significant other or best friend will leave. And so therefore, they're going to mastermind or control them, not because, you know, they're using these kind of nefarious ways, but really just to control the person because they're insecure that the person will leave. Do you ever think it's that? Or is it truly like, I just like the control. I like to be the center of attention.
2: All all narcissists love controlling people. Malignant narcissists know that it ends in harm for you. And so you have people that are narcissistic. They tend towards that. And to be honest, I think we all ha- can have narcissistic moments. There are times where we, where we, have narcissism we stare in the mirror a little bit too long i mean it's just like those are things we do there's a difference between a person who is a narcissist than and a person who is a malignant narcissist a malignant narcissist knows that in the end you're going to feel bad after the interaction they have with you
1: and And that's maybe their intention that is the intention i'm going to make this person feel bad so I feel better. I think, you know, in two, you feel powerful when you've made someone else feel bad. It's control, but it isn't just you. the situation you described
2: was control. I don't want my boyfriend to leave. Sure. So I am going to do something that manipulates him. I don't necessarily want him to, to come to harm. I just want him to stay. The end result is I want him to stay. For the malignant narcissist, it's like, I want to tear you apart because it makes me feel like I have a lot of power.
0: I have to then believe that there are some people that are just naturally evil or, you know, kind of intend to be. And so that's the part that's hard for me to, you know, accept that there are malignant. um... There are people who have
2: schizophrenia, right? They're born and something will happen in their life that triggers that schizophrenia. And that's what happens. I see this in no other way. It was probably triggered by narcissism. I mean, it's probably triggered by trauma, but it's something that they are wired towards. A lot of times, same thing with eating disorders. I think a lot of us are wired towards issues with eating and then some sort of trauma. There's a trigger that sets that off in our lives. And yeah, that's bad. But a lot of people are born with conditions that are troubling Um, I also believe in divine healing and anyone can be changed if they if they uh, desire that with all their heart. There is a way for us to heal. There's a way for us to be better. The problem with narcissism is because because of the very way that narcissism is, that person doesn't ever think they need to be changed or need help. So they're never going to surrender and say, you know, God, help me heal me, help me change because they think they're fine the way they are. In
1: fact, they enjoy it. They like the superior feeling. It takes a lot of work on yourself. No, if you, if you don't want to change it, you can't, I mean, it takes a lot of work on yourself. The same thing we'd go all the way back to, you know, the, your weight or your eating disorder or your health and those things. Like if, if, you're not willing to put the work in. People could admit you as many times as they wanted to a hospital and it wasn't going to work until you were ready for it. And whether it's these toxic personality traits or weight loss um, or trying to work on health goals, like none of those things are going to happen until you're ready. People reach out to, I'm sure all of us, and say, I'm trying to get my mom to lose weight. I'm trying to get my husband to lose weight. i am tr- How can I convince somebody else to do this? The answer is you can't. You can't.
2: I agree. I agree. I, what I say to people in that circumstance is that you have to show them something uncommon. It is uncommon these days for a person to be stable with their weight, with the way they choose to live their life, with their morals, with their decisions, with the way they treat people. When you show someone something different that's uncommon stability in all those ways that's when it becomes very attractive and even the most broken people will come to you at some point and say i know i mocked what you did before or i know that in the past i didn't see value in this but i don't see people around me staying healthy i don't see people getting better and better people are used to flashes in the pan." They're used to somebody showing up in a transformation. I was fat and now I'm skinny. Well, I did that a hundred times in my life in the past. I made a big deal when I lost 60 pounds in 60 days on a juice fast. Do you think it took people a little bit of time to realize, you know, for me that keto was not another juice fast? Yeah. People come to us and they are willing to change. The best thing we can do for those people in our lives is to be consistent in our own lives and that will draw people to you. That's the way impact and influence people.
0: I totally agree with that. My husband, when I was plant-based and I told him I was going to try carnivore, he thought it was absurd. Um, He thought it just doesn't make any sense that you wouldn't eat any plant foods. But then he also lived with me with my eating disorder, being in the mental health hospital and all of that. So after six months of me healing and then, and then a year, he was like, if you want to do this the rest of your life, I'm totally on board. And then he started eating meat himself because his family has heart disease and, you know, he shied away from saturated fats and stuff. And he became a believer because I was the most consistent I was ever in the last five years at that point that we had been together, right? I used to disappear from him. And he'd be like, what's going on? Are you mad? And it's no, I was now hanging out with Ed, like you said, you know, Um, and it it took the meat based diet for him to see me be a consistent person day in and day out. And then he became a believer.
2: Yeah. Similar story with my husband, too. Again, after being married, you know, being together for decades, uh, he he didn't, he assumed that keto was just another diet. Um, And I had to do it for quite a a long time before he really said, whoa, she is changing. This is not just losing weight. Uh, Most diets work for losing weight, but they don't transform us. They don't heal our minds and heal our bodies. We don't start to behave different when we change our diet until we start to eat a whole, you know, real food the diet that we were intended to eat which is animal products
1: so you've been doing keto for many years now you kind of started when everybody else started like years ago you've been a pretty established member of the keto coaching community you've had tremendous success with yourself i'm gonna pile on all the compliments here right you and and you know and i think it's Um, a beautiful thing, the people that you have helped and you've found your calling through this. So from a uh, online perspective, you don't share, you're not on Instagram daily. You don't have a YouTube channel. I, you know, like when we're going to say where we can find you here in a little while, we don't have a list of places where people can find you. Why is that? What, where is the balance for you of fixing yourself and helping others? And yet being online or not being online, talk to us about that and your thought process with that.
2: The main thing I have to bring into this is my faith. When I started to get better and I was having this major transformation and I knew that it was not just my body. It was my mind. I was thinking differently. I was thinking more clearly than I ever had. Um, People came to me and said, Hey, you should coach. And I said, absolutely not. (laughs) I can't do this. And so one of the reasons I said no was because it is a, there is an understanding that to be successful as a coach, you have to build an online empire, right? I mean, that's part of it. That's what they tell you. The first thing you need to do if you're going to be a successful coach is build this thing. And in my heart, I was like, I don't want that. I have given so much of myself to so many people for so much of my life. I'm finally healing. I don't want to do that. And so I decided I wouldn't and then it kept popping back up and I finally prayed and I was like, God, listen, (laughs) you know, part of my healing is not worrying about impressing other people. If I build this big online thing, I'm going to constantly every day be worried about what can I write to impress people? What can I wear to impress people? Who should I be to impress people? If I struggle, is that going to be an issue? I can't live that way. If this is what you want me to do, you have to bring people to me. So I agreed to do it. And like immediately, immediately, like the first week I had 13 clients, which was too much. At the time I was like, Oh no. Um, and I had to work through more things with that. But there have been times in my career where I've had probably the opportunity to promote myself. There's I see the way it's done. I see, you know, I, I I can even help other people sometimes get their stuff going. And I see how good they are at promoting and they do all these great things and there's nothing wrong with it. But time and time again, God has pressed on my spirit I will promote you. You do not need to promote yourself. I will bring people into your life who will promote you. You don't need to do this ever, ever. And he has been faithful. And in my experience as a coach, I've spent over 13,000 hours coaching people. I figured that out recently. (laughs) I have worked a lot, probably more than most Every one of those hours that I didn't spend on trying to get people to like me, I spent actually invested in somebody. And I think that keeps me humble. And so there's nothing wrong with having an audience. I, I think it's good. I'm glad when I get new followers. That means a lot to me. I hope that they um, are there because there's something that, they need to hear or they need to be inspired by, but it is clear to me that my path is to spend my time working with the people who are given to me, not building an audience. And God gives me the audience that I'm supposed to have every single time. And I've just come to peace with that. If it ever becomes bigger, that's fine. I'm still going to do exactly what I do, but I'm not going to worry about it. Um, you, y'all know I've been working on a book for a while, and that's a, that's my pretty big thing. And the first thing that uh, I have a, a good friend who is a famous author and has had many bestsellers on on uh, the New York Times bestseller list. One of the first things she says is, you have to build an audience. And I said, oh, I've heard that before. I'm not doing that. And I believe that again, I will do the part I'm supposed to do. I get the book written, it gets out there, it gets published. And then God will show me that he's doing it in a way that it's only him. It isn't through my own effort. And he connects me with people like you guys who do have audiences.
0: I was going to say that, Jessica, I mean, the few very deep conversations we've had, I think, you know, provide a lot of inspiration and just Genuine. um, And it's really hard to find genuine people on the internet. And I even struggle with that myself because you have such a kind spirit. You build these great relationships with people that do have audiences. And that's how you can spread your book. The internet is pretty new. How did people sell books prior to that? How did people self um, publish prior to the internet? It happened. This is more of a new uh, channel. It's an easier one, but. Um, There's definitely other ways. And I think you, your story and what you bring to the table and how you inspire is so much.
2: If I could take any credit for anything, then it would not be as meaningful to me. And if I can say God did this, then that points more people towards him, not just towards what I'm doing in the eating disorder world or with helping people through, you know, other things that I do. It's like, I didn't do this oftentimes I meet people and they say, well, I I don't, I can't even remember how I heard of you It was on some podcast or something. I'm
0: like, I should never have been on the podcast. I've been on 25 podcasts. Why? How? I don't know. I share so much about meat being such a healing part of my journey, but so was the spiritual side. I mean, that I've always, I was raised in a Christian home, but I mean, I really was like, God, I'm going to do my own thing for a very long time. And and then when I was healing with my diet and just coming to terms of like, what, what do I want in my life? And, you know, what pr- purpose do I serve? And I really just started getting closer to God and my faith. And then just the challenges on the Internet of, Okay I know my heart is in a good place but people misconstrue a lot of the things whether it's I'm trying to sell, sell something or there's some hidden agenda or whatever it may be and yeah. it, it hurt me honestly and but I think this was the way that I was able to find my relationship and get closer to him and um and it's made it so much more meaningful right so I think the diet is such an important factor in healing, but so is like sleep. And so is your religion and believing in something bigger than you and greater than you and having a sense of purpose that's outside of just like the family and friendships, right? There's helping your fellow neighbor. I think that's such a big thing. When I see messages from people that they don't have enough money to work with me, or they can't afford something. And I feel really sad, but I can't help everyone obviously right but i pray about it now and i just say god i hope you've helped them find a way to get the help they need in
2: in some of those
0: situations
2: and, and we can't help everybody anybody that says it's selfish not to stop and help everybody for free is crazy like we, we couldn't live our lives it, we want to the heart is there to do it we can't but instead praying is actually the better option cuz you're saying God, reveal yourself to this person in this situation. If I'm the answer, then then I get the glory for that. But in their eyes, reveal yourself to them. And many times someone will come to me and be like, hey, this person out of the blue gave me $200 to be able to work with you. I'm like, wow, God blessed them through another person. That's amazing. You know, we're... We, um, We work very hard, all of us, and um, I know there are naysayers out there, but um, if God has given us a gift, we should use it. If our gift was to make something and sell it, then, then great. God gave us the gift, the ability to do that. God's given us a gift that isn't always something that you can put your hands on that's tangible, but it doesn't mean we're not giving the world something, and I think that you know, I, I'm grateful for that, but um, yeah, you know what? I, I pray for boldness all the time. It isn't about uh, I don't. I definitely don't preach at people. I definitely have clients that are atheists. They'll tell you that, but I also don't ever back down on my own beliefs. And the truth is, transformation is not just your body. It is your spirit and it is your mind. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. When people lose weight, even on something healthy like keto or carnivore, and then they go back to the way they were, it's because their mind hasn't been transformed. And I think part of what I do is help people
1: transform their minds
2: with God's help.
1: It's powerful and it's working. And I know people are changed. We both of Judy and I both feel that we feel uh, that from you often. And so, like she said, in our few interactions, they have been deep and powerful and very impactful. And we are both very grateful. So grateful again, divine appointments
2: and the enemy tried to keep me away. I'll never forget that. It drives me like just show
1: up. But I think that's it. You've been doing this for so long. Judy and I have been doing this. All of us, we got a lot of years on this of the three of us. It doesn't mean things are easy. It doesn't mean things are perfect. And we still fall into those traps of self despair and feeling insecure and feeling like we're not good enough. And it's this balance of, you know, for me, it's maybe I'm sharing too much and I'm feeling pressure and I'm, like you said, I, I feel like I have to do something for online. So then you take a break and it's finding the balance of what are my intentions? Where is my personal mental health? Like we all three still have to keep working at this every day. This has to be a priority for us. It It is not a one in weight loss, check the box, go on to it better life it is an entire mindset lifestyle transformation forever
2: it's peeling back layers that get you closer and closer and closer to your purpose that just the more and more you pick at these little things something that you used to see as an obstacle i see it as a layer that i'm peeling back so it's not an obstacle that I may still struggle with body image. I see it as a layer that I'm peeling back. And the more that I peel back that, that piece, the more that puts me into purpose where I'm able to help people more. The things that we have gone through, the things we have come through are exactly where our wisdom comes from. So I don't see it as a burden that we have to continue to peel back layers and continue to fight through these things. I see it as God's giving me something else that I can help other people with. Because everything that's been hard, he has always redeemed and used. And I can expect that if I am in a hard situation right now, he will use this and redeem it in the future. And that's a pretty cool thing. And it helps you get
1: through those rough times for sure. Yeah. What's the lesson here and how can I use this to help, to push forward and then to help others is a, because we all know this is not a, it's always, you know, sunshine unicorns and it's not easy. So we still have a lot of work we have to do. I know I still have a lot of work to do.
0: (laughs) Same. The real takeaway of this conversation is We all have our struggles and if we, you know, get right with our diet, obviously that will help some of the, like the mental fog and the lethargy we may feel from excess processed foods. But from there, then we may have to do some more digging, whether it's trauma from your past, a narcissistic relationship. Um, just having unrealistic expectations of your body and its worth, and if that kind of defines you, and then just finding purpose from there. Right now, if you do have that extra energy to get stuff done in a day, then what are you going to do with that? And if you do struggle with leaning on food for comfort when you're upset, what are you going to do in those moments now that you aren't turning to those foods? Um, these are really hard discussions, and but it's imperative to really do while you're healing because that's what will bring everlasting change. And, you know, for me personally, I brought up that I did the whole meat thing and then learned intuitive eating. But also, for me, it was going to God and just um, strengthening my relationship with my family with God as the center, right? Like those things are really important for me. But I think also exercise is really important for me. Uh, Lately, I've been doing like two times a week going to do a little bit of cardio and then a little bit of like five minutes of sweating. But still, it's a little bit and it makes me happier. So it's um, just finding those things. And maybe Laura and Jessica, as we wrap up, if you guys can share for your journey, what has helped and what what you see next.
2: I think we all have things that we have no idea that we're interested in and are good at. So when you think about when you think about getting rid of your eating disorder or letting go of compulsively counting and doing all the things that you felt gave you control and that you spent so many hours of your life doing, I think there are all these other things that we have yet to explore and learn about ourselves. I think we have talents, I think we have interests, I think we have all these things we haven't discovered. So I encourage people to look around. And they're like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. How do I replace my food? You don't replace the food with something else. You don't use something else to stuff down your feelings. You don't do something else to numb. You say, what is it I haven't tried yet? Maybe I I haven't tried cardio. Maybe I'll try cardio. I haven't, you know, um, art. I have a very artistic, a strong artistic side of me. And I think I used to know that when I was a kid, but I forgot all about it. I was way too wrapped up in Ed, and all of a sudden, it's like, "Whoa, <laughs> this! Where did this come from?" But you, there's all these parts of us that are unexplored because we've given so much of it to Ed or to um, fear or to being stuck the way we were. And I just would encourage everybody to explore and be really open to the fact that there's something out there that you are brilliant at that you haven't discovered, I don't care what age you are. Like start experimenting. Pick up something new. You may hate it, but you may love it,
1: you know? I say that all the time. Like I had to, when I stopped eating constantly and having every thought be about food, I had to get a hobby because I didn't know what to do with myself. And so I've tried a few different things. I'm in a puzzle obsession right now, but like I had to try a few things that literally occupied my hands and kept me away from the kitchen. Um, And I think also people just really need to dive into this in the beginning. You know, somebody asked me the other day, like, how do I get started help? Like you have to want to get started. First of all, There is a hundred people on the thousands of people on the Internet that will tell you how to get started. You have to go watch some of those videos. Don't DM me and ask me, how do I get started? Go do some research. You have to want it. You have to be proactive. You have to go and get it. You have to absorb it in the beginning. Maybe you are obsessively absorbing nutrition content, what I can eat, what you can do. And then over time, you realize like, this is the journey I went on, right? It was all about food and nutrition. And then it was like, whoa, food addiction. And then I started listening and reading and absorbing everything I could about that. And then now it's more like maintenance and lifestyle and long-term and personality. And you have to go and find there's so much free content and great content that you can uh, absorb and books to read. And you just have to skip watching Netflix for a night because sitting on the couch watching TV triggers me to want to eat food and go for a walk and listen to an audiobook by uh, somebody that's going to give you some solid information on what you need. You, you can't just change one thing in your life, like what I'm eating and expect everything else to change as well. Because changing the food alone is not enough. And I think that's was the biggest wake up call for me. Um, and still I need that reminder is that I just can't change the food I'm eating and expect to to fix everything. And so there's just so much so much else has to and you and you have to want it yourself like we both talked about. We all talked about um jessica you're not trying to build a big following but where can people follow you if they want to come and follow you and so they can buy your book in the future i do want
2: everybody to buy the book in the future because so many people have eating disorders and they aren't even really aware of it or they have somebody in their life that has an eating disorder um the principles in the book can apply to overcoming any sabotaging voice in your life it's specifically about eating disorders but The process that I went through, it's my story, but it's also the process that I went through to get free and overcome sabotaging thoughts. That's the key, whatever the sabotaging thoughts are pointing you towards. And so I I would want people to get that when it comes out in the future. But I do make it very easy. Coach Jessica, and it's J-E-S-S-Y-C-A, and it's coachjessica at gmail.com. it's coach jessica on facebook or coach jessica on instagram and i welcome new friends everywhere
0: and we'll put it all in the show notes so people can easily reach out to you well thank you so much for joining us um you know it's always a delight to talk to you um
2: i would just say this wherever you are whatever you feel too stuck in to get free from you are not too stuck it is not too late you are not alone and you can get free. Absolutely.
1: Amen. Thank you. Thank you.
0: You said amen. Sorry. I'm I did. It. I to-
1: said intentionally. Like, I did. I felt like, listen, we sent them to church today, girl. Come on.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at NutritionWithJudy.com You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura Eastbath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura Spath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura eastbath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura Spath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain.